Hey, welcome if it is your first time with us, if it's your first time back, you haven't been on campus in a while, welcome if you're online with us. Really glad that you decided to join us today. Last night was our last Saturday service during this season. We don't know how long that's going to be, but I had to kind of give them a farewell talk. I'm going to talk about that later toward, at the end, let you know what we're doing in place of Saturday night. But have you ever had to give a farewell talk? Maybe uh, you were privileged enough, you got to give the farewell graduation speech at your high school, right? Or maybe when you're taking your kid off to college, you try to give them that farewell speech, you know, some good words of advice to talk about the things that are most important, help them to stay on course. Or maybe you have a younger sibling, and on their wedding day, you gave them kind of that farewell talk to, to send them on their way. Well, today, we're, we're finishing up the reentry series, so this is the farewell talk for it. And we want to make sure that we are focusing on really what is most important right now. Uh, again, if you missed any of the previous messages, go back, pick them up online. We talked about how we're re-entering into this new life. You've got to leave the old life behind to receive that new uh, kind of full, abundant life that Jesus wants to offer you. And it's a life of obedience to Him. Uh, but now, once we're in that new life, how do we stay on course? How do we stop from, from veering off course? So... I think there's a good farewell speech to guide us in that back in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Deuteronomy. It was written by Moses, as you may know, was God's leader of the people of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt. He led them out of slavery, uh, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years up to the border of the promised land. But before they went in, Moses is about to die, and he gives them this whole book of Deuteronomy as a farewell speech to make sure they understand the most important things and, and to remember to stay on course as they enter into this land when he's not going to be with them to guide them anymore. Uh, Moses reminds them that God has made a covenant with you. And here's all the things that God has done for you. And so think about all the times you're, you're told to be careful. Because Moses, is going to, his speech is going to focus over and over saying, be careful about this, be careful about that. Right? If, uh, if you have a, a teenager in your house and they get their driver's license, right? Every time they get in the car, what do you say? Be careful. It's like, you, you would think that would be unnecessary, right? Like, oh, no, mom, like I'm going to go out and be reckless. But you'd be amazed how many times we need those reminders. And it doesn't matter how old your child gets, still 55 years old, they'll still, parents will still say, be careful. Think of all the be careful signs we got out there. People put up, businesses put up, they say, you know, watch your step, wet paint, hot surface, high voltage, uh, Watch out for deer, watch out for kids, school zone, train crossing, toxic, flammable. And it's probably a good thing we have those caution signs. Now, they're not telling us what to do. They're just reminding us, hey, pay attention to this. It's like in your car. If you have a newer model car, you know, you've, you've probably got some sort of sensors on there now to warn you. Like if you have something in your blind spot, a light will come on. Right? Or if you're getting too close in the front or the back, a noise will come on. But if you have an older model car, like I got an old truck, and, you know, my, my only sensor is just going like that a lot, you know, making sure. But it's great to have all kinds of things to warn you so you don't crash. Or at least you don't go off course. And that's what Moses wants to do with the Israelites. All right? Be careful. Don't want you to crash. Here's what he says in chapter 4. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. 
For the Lord your God is a what? He's a consuming fire. That's serious. He's a jealous God. So idolatry is really the big thing that Moses is warning them about crashing into, right? Getting them off track. He wants to protect them. But that's not just for the Israelites back then. Don't think about idols as just these little, you know, golden statues or, or wood-carved statues. We all deal with idols all the time. Paul confirms that in the New Testament when he writes in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And the Apostle John agrees with that as well. In fact, everybody watching online, everybody here, say this out loud together with me. 1 John 5, he says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Because what are the consequences if you don't? Moses tells them, Cursed is anyone who makes an idol. And as soon as anything becomes more important to you than God or that you begin to trust more than God, that becomes your idol. And that, that's when you get off course and you experience the exact opposite of that new, full, abundant life that God wants you to have. Idolatry makes God jealous. Do you realize that? We always think about jealousy being this bad thing, like it's an unhealthy, neurotic thing, you know, for your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse. And it can be that for sure. But jealousy is an appropriate response when somebody belongs to you. Like, I am jealous for my wife. And it's not like I'm worried, you know, some, somebody's always going to be hitting on her, you know, and trying to take away from me, you know. But if her heart were ever drawn to another man, I'd be jealous because she belongs to me, right? That's my wife, not his. And that's exactly the way God feels about you. You belong to him. You entered into a covenant with him. He doesn't want your heart to be stolen away by anyone or anything else. God is only deserving a first place in your life. He's not going to play second fiddle. He's not going to be your backup plan. He's not going to take a, a, a subordinate position. God will not be your spare tire. He will only take first place in your life. It's all or nothing. And every time Moses speaks to them, be careful, he connects it to a couple of actions to prevent them from uh, getting into idolatry. He says, first of all, remember, don't forget, everything you've seen the Lord do. And then secondly, he says, be sure to obey the Lord. Okay? They certainly had seen a lot of things, right? The Israelites run, wandered around the desert for 40 years. They had seen God provide miraculously for them food and water every day. They'd seen him lead them into battle against far greater or stronger nations and defeat them. They had seen God reveal himself in, uh, in the storm. They had heard his voice audibly. He appeared in that pillar of fire by night and that cloud by day to guide them. They'd seen a lot of things God did, incredible things, things that you could never possibly forget. <laughs> but you know how ridiculous we are. We do forget. We forget all that stuff in the moment. When we're, we're not getting what we want, when things aren't going our way, we forget all that stuff. You can have a friend or a family member for years, and you're very close. And in a moment, they can turn their back on you and walk away. Isn't that right? And the more good you do for them, the farther away they get. They forget. And that happens with God. In a moment of frustration or anger or, or doubt, because we don't see him doing what we want him to do for us right now, we forget 
all that he's already done for us. We can enjoy years of his salvation, of all of his blessings, but in that moment, when he's not delivering the goods, we forget about all that and we walk away. We turn our back on him and we go look for some idol that will deliver the goods. Now, Moses tells them in chapter 6, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. So go well, so you have that good, abundant life God wants for you. And right before that, he gives another why. Not only for you, but that your children and their children after them may, what? Fear the Lord your God. We should obey the Lord because we fear him. Again, not some neurotic, unhealthy, irrational phobia of God, but a genuine, healthy respect, reverence, and awe of God. And if we ever lose that, we're in a whole lot of trouble because God is God. And, and if we lose that respect for him, our entire worldview and morality is, is based on the foundation of respecting the Lord as God. The fear of the Lord, Scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom. That causes me to obey him. But more than that, now as a Christian, I also understand how much he loves me. And so I want to obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I do, so I, I want to do it out of love. But it's still a very wise foundation for our submission to his deity. It's that fear, that, that respect. Now the promise for those Israelites, obedience, was that you and your future generations are going to enjoy that long, abundant, full life. But if you're care not careful, you will forget. And you'll begin to think, well, it's, it's, uh, it's this land, this promised land that's the source of my prosperity and all my crops. It's the military leaders who are providing my peace and security. It's, it's these other nations and their gods and their idols that are providing all the blessings. I'll just, I'll just do what they're doing. And, and that, that's certainly what Moses is warning against. And that was his big idea for them, was to be careful not to have any idols that cause you to forget or disobey God. Think about a spacecraft. It has a lot of gauges on it, right? You look at the gauges, make sure everything's going okay. They're there to warn you. Be careful. There might be a problem coming up here. Make sure you don't veer off course. We have the same thing in our cars, just a lot fewer gauges, but important gauges to make sure that we don't crash or we run into problems. They're there to warn us about an overheated engine or low tire pressure, or low fuel. And some of you like to play that game of ignoring the gauges as long as you can. See how far you can let that gas gauge get down below E before you stop, and you lose that game, and you suffer the consequences of ignoring those gauges, right? Well, uh, we, we do that all the time. And in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews goes back to this time of Moses and, and reminds us, hey, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, that's that promised land, it still stands, let us be careful that none of you found to be fallen short of it. All right, Think about what they did. They had it all. Those Israelites, they had God doing miracles in the wilderness. He's uh, teaching them everything they needed to know. He's, he's, he's promising rest. He's demonstrating how faithful and loving he is to them. And yet, they blew it. He goes on, for we also have had that good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they didn't share in the faith of those who obeyed. 
most of them never experienced that full abundant life God wanted for them because they didn't obey. They didn't pay attention to the gauges and they veered off course. The idols caused them to veer off course and that's happening to us all the time. Not only to our world, but I'm talking about to Christians. We seem to be veering off in so many ways, veering off into rage and malice or lying or stealing or just devaluing human life, especially of the youngest human lives, of babies. And So many babies are being brought into this world without one or both parents and marriages veering off course, sexuality veering off course, you know, normalizing perversity, human trafficking, pervasive young people veering off course as they go off to college and are immersed in this, this environment of anti-God philosophies and depraved and degenerate behaviors. And I'm just telling you, that's the more we veer off course, the farther away from God we get and the worse it's going to be for us. I think we're, we see ourselves hurtling that direction now in a lot of ways. And Christians, our promised land is yet to come. We're not there yet. Our time of rest is in the future, in heaven. So until we get there, we've got to figure out how to protect ourselves from veering off course and get mixed up with idols. So I want to give you a few gauges that you need to keep an eye on. The first one would be your faith gauge. What is your faith really in? If you have placed your faith in anything or anyone other than God, you have created an idol, including yourself. If you're the one in charge of your life and it's all about whatever you want to do, you have made yourself your own God. And if you are relying on your own goodness and efforts to get you into heaven, then you are an idolater. If you're putting your faith in the state to know what's best for you, to provide for you, to protect you, you have made the state your idol. If science is where you look to for all the answers and the meaning of life, then science is no longer science. It has become your religion. If you're looking to money to be the source of your happiness and your well-being and security, then you are no longer serving God. You're serving money. And if you're trying to accumulate more and more material things, to be the source of, of blessing in your life, well, then you are an idolater. You can make a man your idol. You can make a woman your idol. Somebody who you think is going to make you happy and meet all your needs. You can idolize your family. Whatever gives your life, whatever cause gives purpose to your life, whatever you devote your time and money and energy to, that can be your idol if it's more important than God. Only God is deserving of first place. God is first. And we're going to arrive in that promised land one day by God's grace. It's nothing we can earn or achieve for ourselves. We receive it as a gift as we put our trust in Him. We repent of our sins. We're forgiven. We follow Him as our Lord and Master. That's how we know that we're on course. If we're putting God first. In fact, Paul teaches this in Romans 14, 23. Again, everybody together, let's say this out loud. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. That means I am to live every moment of my life in faith. And if I can't do something in good faith before God, I probably shouldn't be doing it. Because God is a part of everything I do. I can't leave God out on the, on the, the sidelines of my life and compartmentalize God and say, well, I've got this this spiritual part of my life, but then I got the rest of my life, my regular life, and God's only allowed into certain parts of my life. No, it's all or nothing. 
God is either first or he's nothing at all in your life. He is the center and core of it all, and it all revolves around him. That's how we live by faith. All right, so that's our first gauge we've got to check. I also need to keep an eye on the obedience gauge because obedience is the evidence of our faith, right? Because faith without good works is dead. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. So the, the fruit of your faith is obedience. So we cannot claim to live for Christ if we're not walking with Christ, seeking to be like him, all right? Think about the old hymn. Some of you might remember, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Faith and obedience. Happy. That means that full abundant life. There's another song actually that made a big impact on me when I was a young teenager. And I won't sing it for you, but it went like this. Um, If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Whoa, right? Now, of course, that's a real thing in other countries. You could be arrested and convicted for being a Christian. Not here yet. But what if it were? What if, it, what if that's to come? Imagine a jury examining the evidence of your faith, looking at your daily behaviors, looking at your credit card statements, uh, examining uh, the record of your church involvement. Would there be any evidence? Would there be any witnesses who could testify against you? Could your own family even testify that you're a genuine, real Christian? Where's the evidence? Pretty convicting. Who is in charge of your life? Who is on the throne of your heart? Do you consult God about your decisions, about your relationships? Do you care what God thinks about what you watch for entertainment, what you wear, how you speak to people, how you spend your money? Is he really first in your life? Because I'm telling you guys, as we re-enter this new reality, I mean, we got to be better than we were before. we got to be different than we were before because we too often, Christians just blending in with the rest of society. You can't tell the difference. We're using the same ungodly language. We're holding the same ungodly values. We're, we're promoting the same godless worldview and the same godless morals. we got to do better than that. How do you please God if you don't consult him, if you don't know what his word says? So few Christians are even bothering to pick up a Bible and read these days. They don't know what God says. And when you listen to someone or something other than God as your authority for what you believe in, how you behave, you have made it your idol. Who are you listening to? Next week, we're going to start a new series that we're calling Conflicted because there's all these issues out there that Christians are genuinely conflicted about. We don't know what to believe because we don't really know what God says about racism, justice, politics, science, drugs, including weed. We're conflicted about those things. So what we're going to do is try and see God's perspective. We're going to take all those things and filter them through the grid of Scripture so that we can know what God thinks about those things. So you are going to want to be here for this next series, believe me. All right, so we got to check one more gauge while we're at it, the emotional gauge, because our culture is very big on emotions, right? It's all about your feelings. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. Follow your heart. Feelings matter more than facts today. Isn't that right? i got to tell you, folks, feelings, I mean, they're God-given. They're important. They're something to be considered, but they make terrible guides. 
but they're good gauges. So keep an eye on the gauge. For example, what disappoints you most in life? Is it your family? Is it a friend? Is it your career? Is it your finances? Maybe life's just not turning out the way you thought it would. Maybe you're disappointed in God because, again, he's not making good on on what you think he should do. He's not delivering the goods for you. And so you're, you're disappointed in him, and you've put him to the test. He's not giving you what you want, so that whatever you're wanting becomes more important than God, right? That becomes your idol. Or think about your emotions. What do you worry about? What are you afraid of? Being alone? Not being enough? Because that's where a lot of people get their significance, And the reason why some of you are so worried about being a great parent is because your significance is found in in parenthood. And your kid doesn't turn out the way you thought they would. And you think it's all about you, and it's not. Or your significance is found in your career. You're not getting the, the promotion you think you deserve. You're not getting the title. You're not getting the money you think you should have. You're... And the reason why you're so concerned about that is because that's where your significance is. Or your significance is found in some other kind of relationship. Or in how you look. Or or in your grades. Your significance is all bound up in that. Guys, I'm telling you, if your significance is found in anything other than I am made in the image of God, you have an idol. And it needs to go. What are your emotions telling you? And what do you do with those harmful emotions? Where do you take them? Do you, do you eat your feelings with food? Do you drown them in alcohol? Do you numb them with drugs? Push them away with porn? I mean, what do you do with them? Maybe you do something kind of good. You take them to a friend and you, you, you dump all your feelings on your friend. But you do that instead of taking them to the Lord. Instead of praying. And so even your friend can become kind of an idol. And instead of experiencing supernatural peace, you're experiencing superficial peace because it's an idolatrous placebo wherever you're taking your feelings to. All those negative feelings. Are are you letting those things run your life? Are you letting your feelings be the locomotive, the engine that, that pulls your life, that guides you? Or are you letting your faith be the engine. Will, will, you, will you make sure that you're sticking your feelings in the caboose? I mean, hang on to them. Keep an eye on them, but don't let them drive your life. In fact, you want to make, check out a book by Kyle Eidelman called Gods at War. If you want to delve a little bit deeper into this kind of stuff about idols, false gods in your life, there, if, you're, if you're on Right Now Media, there's a great study on there right now too. Uh, and if you're not on Right Now Media, go on our website and you can get a free account southpointccc.com slash rnm right now media and I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of that but listen Moses ends his farewell speech by offering them this final choice and it's a choice that we still make continuously today he says this day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death blessings and curses now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God And listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord, look at this, is your life. 
and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Guys, your choice is still pretty simple and clear, life or death. Blessings or curses. Now, what that means for us today is either we say yes to Jesus or we say no to Jesus. And I think the choice is a pretty, pretty easy one. I want to say yes to the God who loved me so much that he gave his son to die in my place so that I could be forgiven and go to heaven. I, he rose from the dead, and I will too. Yes, that's exactly what I want to experience. Look, God deserves to be first place in your life simply because of who he is. He demands to be first place. But more than that, he deserves it because of what he's done for you. Nobody else has ever done for you what he's done for you, laid down his life for you. And nobody else will ever do that. That's why God is jealous for you. Your heart belongs to him. It should. And he doesn't want anything or anybody to steal your heart away. So be careful not to have any idols that cause you to forget or disobey God. Have you made your own decision to, to believe in Jesus as your Savior, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into Him so that you can receive forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit to help you every day, and the promise of eternal life to come? Have you made the choice to confess Him as your Savior, to follow Him as your Lord? If you haven't, I want to invite you to do that, urge you to do it, plead with you to do that today to talk to somebody, reach out to us. Somebody would love to help you with that decision. Uh, if you're already on course, if you're already, you're, Jesus is Lord of your life, he's on the throne of your heart, keep watching those gauges, make sure you stay on course, make sure that he's more important to you than anything else in this life. But whatever next step you need to take, would you send us a text, 734-304-7248, or email next at southpointccc.com. One of us would love to get back with you, pray with you, answer your questions, help you get baptized. In fact, as you leave this place today on your way out, you can talk to somebody in person in either rooms A, B, C, or D, all right? And I, I mentioned earlier I would, I would tell you about Saturday. So we no longer have Saturday services, and we know some people sometimes have to work Sunday morning, so we always want to provide another option for you so that you... you are able to have some interaction. So what we're going to do starting next Sunday night is have a Sunday night replay at 7 p.m. on live.southpointccc.com and on Facebook. And yes, it will be a replay of the, the morning service, but there will be people there live in person to chat with you, to comment with you, so you can have some interaction, all right? So take advantage of that if you're not able to join us online or in person on Sunday mornings, all right? So we hope that you're going to be back next week as you get ready to leave now. Um, be sure to keep that social distancing, but wish somebody a blessed week. Share what you've heard today and invite somebody next week. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.